Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Bread and Roses, Feminist News and Public Affairs, on the air since 1978, making it the longest-running feminist radio program in the country. I'm your host this week, Leanne Kranz. Our guest tonight is Ugandan grassroots leader Beatrice Ashien-Nas, a global voice for the education of girls and the empowerment of rural African communities. As a young girl, Beatrice and her family worked hard to raise funds to send her to school. Then a family from Kentucky sponsored her education through high school and university. Beatrice understands the profound impact of education on a girl's life. She founded the Pearl Community Empowerment Foundation to support the education of rural girls, to empower communities to manage their own grassroots developments, and raise awareness to counteract the HIV-AIDS crisis in Africa. Bread and Roses member Delphine Crescenzo and I spoke with Beatrice Ashien-Nas while she was in the United States this fall. To say that her words and works are inspirational is an understatement. Please enjoy the interview. Uh, Beatrice, thank you so much for joining us, and welcome to Bread and Roses. Well, I wanted to uh, start by asking you if you could, you know, somewhat situate your country, Uganda, on the map for, you know, our listeners who might not be really familiar with the geography of Africa, and then maybe share a little bit about where you are from um, in Uganda. Well, Uganda is the pile of Africa. It's just a very green country, and there's a population of about 350 million people. And uh, we are into East Africa. We are bordering Congo to the east and Kenya. No, no. I'm very bad at map. (laughs) No problem. I'm very bad at map. But all I know is Uganda is one of the most beautiful countries in Africa. We have the second largest lake in the whole world. We have the source of the Nile, and mm-hmm. we have oil resource, we have gold, we have so many minerals in the country, mm-hmm. but we have leadership that has, uh, our president has ruled for over 27, coming to 28 years now. And where are you so from in this beautiful country? I come from eastern Uganda, bordering Kenya. I come from Tororo, 
And is that a rural area? How how would you describe where you're from? Well, I come from a rural community and a community that has been hit by HIV. Hmm. I my village in particular, they are, it's composed of young people and old people. Like the 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 middle age have all almost all died of HIV, and majority of the people are the vulnerable. So, yeah, that's the situation. And and people, education is not something that has been put in value as such. The the in three people, one only one can read basically that it's full of illiterate sort of. Beatrice, can you describe um, some of the cultural beliefs and traditions that impact the girls and women in rural Uganda? Well, girls and women have been treated like properties, and this is still going on, that with boys who are given priority because they believe that boys will always stay in a homestead but girls get married. So women and girls are more like properties. They don't have right to own land. They don't have right for education. They can be abused in any way. Like a man can marry like five women and it's not a problem, but should a woman be with another man. She can be killed instantly, sort of. And, yeah, generally women are the ones who work so hard, in most cases, to bring bread to the table. And they do so much to, to improve the lives of their children and of their families compared to what men do. I understand that women, that girls are pressured to get married rather early as well, and there are all kinds of issues that come from that. Yeah, by the age of 12, 13, a girl is forced into marriage because their parents are not able to take them to school. Uh, as a matter of fact, for me, I speak for rural population because I really care about rural women and rural girls mm-hmm. because they suffer the most. They are the ones who are denied education. They are the ones who take care of families. They work so hard every day to feed the families. And the girls in schools lack even the basic needs like pads. They use rugs for padding. Mm-hmm. And the older women don't even use pads. So it's a very sad situation for rural people and yeah generally in rural communities women go through a hard time and would you describe a little bit about uh, your personal story growing up as a woman in rural Uganda I, I grew up yearning to be educated and my mother and my family struggled so much to give me an education after primary level and in the second two years of secondary education, it was a struggle to raise school fees. We brewed alcohol to make money. We sold firewood. We sold food so I could go to school. But after those two years, uh, there was no money to go to school. So I was about 14 years old, and there was no money to go to school. So I decided to go and work in a bar 
so I could raise money for education. Mm. And in this bar, I'm not talking of a very nice, fancy bar. It's a mud and water structure. And I would serve drunkards from as early as 6 a.m. until like 3 a.m. when they're still wanting alcohol. So life was very hard, and the main point of that was to raise school fees and wish I didn't even make enough for a whole year. So I decided to go back home, and we began from square one with my mom and my siblings to dig and make money for school for the next two years. And after those two years, I had to sit uh, an ordinary level examinations. It's a national examination for ordinary level in Uganda after four years in secondary school. Mm. And after that, there was no money completely to continue. So I was just at home and almost getting married. Not until the American family that I am living with right now came to Uganda and they're doing a missionary work to treat young children. Mm. And they they heard about my plight for education and they decided to sponsor me through high school to the university. So when they decided to educate me, I felt that was the biggest achievement I've had in life because all that I am today is because of education. If I weren't educated, I wouldn't be anywhere anywhere mm-hmm. in the map in the world today. I actually would have been married somewhere with eight, nine children or having lost my husband to HIV or something. Because personally, I've lost my siblings to HIV. I come from a family of 12 seven brothers and five sisters, including myself, but I've lost all my seven brothers to HIV and two of my sisters, and I live with nieces and nephews. So if I wasn't educated, I wouldn't be taking care of my 16 nieces and nephews today and my mom, and probably taking care of myself. So me as a person, I believe, it's only education that can make a woman's life better in rural Africa. Other than that, life is just a misery. Hmm. And not only did you take care of your own family, but you're making it possible for other girls in rural Africa to go to school. Can you talk about your current work with educating girls? Well, in 2011... World Pulse hosted me to speak out to the American audience. I I went to five states in the U.S. for the speaking tour, and in all my speech and everything that I felt in in that period, I talked about my passion for educating rural girls. Like I felt. This opportunity that was given to me by this family is something that I could also give out to other girls in my community, my country, and probably Africa. And so I came back from World Powers Tour in November 2011 with the mission to educate rural girls. 
And I just posted on my Facebook wall on 1st of January 2012 that my mission for 2012 and beyond is to connect rural Ugandan girls with mentors from across the globe who would educate and mentor them. And that's how people began to ask me, how do I mentor a girl? So the people that had me speak while I was in business and other the friends that they had told about me connected with me through Facebook. And they were the first people who asked me, that, how do I mentor a girl? So throughout 2012, we ended up with 40, 40 girls in secondary schools. And uh, these 40 wasn't easy to find. We were just looking for girls to educate. And uh, this year, we decided to add more 27 but we asked, we, we made announcement and, and asked for applications, and over one, over six hundred nineteen applied for for this opportunity. But we only needed twenty at that point. Wow! So we had to select the best sixty. Remember, these are girls who are all vulnerable. Most of them have lost their parents to HIV. Most of them live with grandparents, or some of them, their parents are living with HIV. Some of them are from completely poor families. So choosing from all these 60 to make 20 was a very hard thing. We had to leave so many heartbroken and crying. All in all, uh, but until now, we have over 1,612 applications from girls who need our help. Mm. And I count, I count my life as a blessing and like a fulfilled life because I'm able to rescue, like around, right now I've, I've been able to rescue 67 girls from early marriages. I believe. 80% of the girls who are in school today would have been married by now because these are girls who have nothing in their homes. If you visited with their families, they don't even have beds to sleep on. Mm. They have just a few beds and a few cups that they share in the house. One room, and you find nine, ten children sleeping in that room. These are the girls who had never sat in any car to go anywhere. They had some of them had never even worn shoes on their feet. They use rugs for pads. Some of them have been using leaves and papers from their books for padding. So giving girls an opportunity for education really changes their lives. And I know they are changed and they will make a difference in their own communities and their families and the country. And uh, you mentioned Walpole, I just wanted to explain for our listeners who uh, might not be familiar with this organization that it's a Portland-based organization. You can go to walpulse.com, and it is um, um, an action media network um, that connects grassroots women leaders all around the world, and that also has a citizen journalism training and digital empowerment, and that's um, Beatrice, the program that you were part of uh, called Voices of Our Future. I'm wondering if some listeners are interested 
um, in connecting with you, being in touch with you about uh, being a mentor and, and potentially sponsoring one of your girls, how could they do that? Well, I have a journal on Walpole. <laughs> yeah, walpole.com. Look for Beatrice. <laughs> yeah, and they also have a website. Uh, our organization is called Pile Community Empowerment Foundation. We thought that work, helping girls is not enough. We work with the parents as well to improve their income and also help them improve their agricultural practices. All is aimed at helping them improve income so that they are able to educate their own children because mm. we are not going to be educating these girls forever. We want to help them to a point where they are able to educate their own children. You're listening to Bread and Roses on KBOO. Our guest tonight is Ugandan grassroots leader Beatrice Ashien Nas, a global voice for the education of girls and the empowerment of rural communities in Africa. If interested in sponsoring the education of a girl in rural Africa, connect with Beatrice via worldpulse.com. W-O-R-L-D-P-U-L-S-E, all one word, dot com. Search for her first name, Beatrice, and connect with her profile. In this next segment, Beatrice discusses the ways that she is engaging men and communities in resolving issues that harm women and girls. Also, she'll discuss her community library project and her experience working with local Portland organization, World Pulse. I enjoyed learning more about your organization, Pearl Community Empowerment Foundation, and I was really intrigued with your work with community sensitization. You are speaking with people about cultural traditions that are so deeply entrenched, and I know that that work is not easy. And I was wondering if you could talk about how you approach working with people to consider traditions that are harming girls and women. What have been your experiences, and how have the men and women reacted, if you don't mind sharing about that? Well, for me, I believe that if you are to fight domestic violence or fight any abuses on girls and women in a community where it is male-dominant, you don't have to use that direct approach. You have to come into a different angle. Like for us, we came in an, uh, an angle of educating girls, and through our meetings of uh, of these issues arising for, about the girls and the community, we pinch a little bit of everything. First of all, when we are enrolling a girl, we, we tell the family that we do not entertain domestic violence. Should we hear of a family that fights, we are going to drop out your child. So in that way, we have already attacked domestic violence. And to tell you now, no families fight. Among the beneficiary families that we have today, none of them fight like they used to. We also tackle family planning issues, and we say, please produce children that you're able to take care of. Look how these girls are now into our hands because you're not able to support them. Try to produce a number of children you can support. So that has also been very helpful, like we have only about three births. Three new births since 2012, sincerely, from the beneficiary families. So I believe indirect approach to, to sensitive issues is the only way that 
will bring out these issues into light. And if we are to fight gender inequality, like if we want to bring women empowerment into, into place, we don't have to abandon men and just focus on women. In one way, we need to involve the men into this action. And in our project, right now, I, I, one of the projects that I'm working on right now is to build a community library and information center in that community, which is one of the first community libraries in Uganda. And it's the men and the women who make these bricks. They're already making bricks for this building. Mm -hmm. We are doing, we are planting fruits and vegetables. It's the men and women who do these things. So we don't isolate men. We involve them, and even in the mentorship project, we have 5% of boys and 95% of girls. So in that way, we do not want to be seen as people who are only there for women and girls. Mm-hmm. If that approach is put in place, the, the the level of violence against women will be lowered because men will be men will see that they are involved in these developmental issues, and I think that's the way to go. And you mentioned the the library project. I was wondering if you can talk a little bit more about that, uh, what it is, um, and why you are interested in bringing books to your community. In Uganda, I can say generally in Uganda, there are no libraries anywhere, and we do not have the reading culture at all. Many people in my country do not enjoy reading. And in rural communities and rural schools, there are no libraries, not even one. If a school has 10 textbooks, the other nearby schools will keep borrowing those same books over and over again. Hmm. And we thought that now that we have high number of applications of girls who need our help, and they're also rural secondary schools, we thought maybe if we have that library and books stocked in there, these students in rural schools can have access to these reading materials and pass their examinations very well. It will also help improve the, the literacy level in rural communities because a child graduates at primary seven, the highest primary level of education, when they don't even know how to write their own names, when they can't read the sentence. So I believe having a community library and information center is a wealth of knowledge. This will be a book bank, a place to meet and read and share and learn. It's not just a library. It will have a, a, a meeting hall where parents, um, for meetings and trainings and workshops and come up with concrete solutions for their own community development because every meeting in the rural community is under a tree and under this tree when it's raining they won't turn up for meetings. When it's too hot they can't turn up for meetings. So without having the library and a meeting center would create a big impact in the rural community. So we are targeting over 48 schools, and we believe that 5,000 students in a year will benefit from this library and the community center. And we also believe that over 3,000 parents will have access to these meetings and trainings and workshops and advocacy that 
that we'll be carrying out. So it's it's a big sensitization center. And um, if people are interested in um, either donating funds or donating books to you for this library, how how can they how can they do that? I still believe through Wild Falls. <laughs> let let them go through Wild Falls to, to reach down to me because it's through Wild Falls that we get support. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And would you talk a little bit about uh, maybe your journey through uh, World Poles, um, how how you came to it, and how that organization has helped you uh, with your vision? I came to World Poles in 2010. I was very desperate, looking for solutions of fighting HIV. I, I had signed up for a, a network called the Global Coal- Global Youth Coalition on HIV. I was deeply finding ways of how to solve HIV issues after losing my siblings HIV. And in that network, I saw something like apply to 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 be one of the the voices of our future correspondents. So when I clicked on that the World Powers page, I saw something like no one speaks. For me, I speak for myself. Mm-hmm. And that word just struck me because I really needed to speak for myself mm-hmm. and be heard. And after reading through the journals, I saw so many people responded to and people heard and listeners were in and people were writing. So I made my first post and I received comments and that encouraged me to continue further. And in this application, I was told there were over 600 applicants, and they only needed to train 20, I mean 30 of them. And out of 30, I wasn't among, I was the 31st, I was the first Mm. (laughs) runner-up. And so the 30th person pulled out, and then I became the 30th. So I was trained trained among these 30 people, and then... Within this study, they needed only three to come to the U.S. to speak. And I wasn't among the three. I was the first runner up, I was the fourth. And the third person pulled out. I became the third. (laughs) And so that's how I came into the U.S. for the second time. And uh, I went through envisioning with the Encina and Hamam and and Nan was a, a voice coach, a speaker coach. Mm-hmm. And Let me say that Yancina is the founder of World Pulse, Yancina Larson, and she has been on Bread and Roses before. Yeah. They they helped me to find out one thing I needed to do because I was in between HIV and education as well as land rights because we had issues with our land having lost our siblings to HIV, all the boys were only girls left, and mm-hmm. including my dad died, and only my mom and my two sisters, and the community like thought we don't have right to own land. So that was one of the things that I was standing out for. So, but it, they helped me to stand out for education, 
And like I told you, when I went back to my country, that's what I stood up for and that's what I'm standing out for today. And my vision is just to fight for the education of rural African girls and women. And I think I'll do that for life. I'll be a voice to the rural poor in Africa, especially the women and girls. I know that you just spent the fall at Wellesley College, the Wellesley Center for Women program, and I understand that in that program you were exposed to an approach uh, for social and emotional education called Open Circle, and I read that you plan to take that approach back to your community um, to help the healing begin um, and to really begin to deeply understand what has happened to girls and women over time in the in communities. Can you talk about what you hope to accomplish with sharing Open Circle at home? One of the basic things in life is to be kind. Another one is to listen. Another one is to be listened to. And these are the key things that are killing cultures and people and communities. When I was trained in the Open Circle program, I felt it is something that is urgently needed in rural Africa. Because in rural schools especially, children go to the gardens, they do domestic work, house chores before they go to school. And when they get to school, the teachers do not even mind to ask them what made them delay to come to school. And so they end up caning them, and there's a lot of corporal punishment. Mm-hmm. And children live in fear. When they are in school, they do not speak. They fear teachers like, they are animals, like dangerous animals. So also children and parents are the same parents punish children for anything, like corporal punishment. And so children end up fearing even their own parents. And parents and teachers do not work well still. So the open circle concept is to bring together all these components to unite children with their families and teachers with the children and teachers and parents and children together. And so the open circle concept is more into listening to people and supporting them, helping them raise their voices and connecting them together. And we believe that through this concept, children will grow up as leaders, as people who know what to do, as people who can speak and stand out for their own communities and stand out probably even to tell the government that this is our right and we need it. So I think that concept will empower the rural community in that way. You are listening to Bread and Roses. 
Our guest tonight is Ugandan grassroots leader Beatrice Ashienas, a global voice for the education of girls and empowerment of rural African communities. If you're interested in sponsoring the education of a girl or to donate books to the Community Library Project she's been discussing tonight, please connect with Beatrice via worldpulse.com, W-O-R-L-D-P-U-L-S-E, all one word, dot com. Simply search for her first name, Beatrice, and connect with her profile. In this next segment, Beatrice talks about uh, her family's win of a historic tribal ruling allowing women to own land. She'll talk about the profound impact of education on the lives of rural African girls and their families and communities. And she'll give her critique on the big NGOs currently working in Africa and give some recommendations for how they can truly be effective in helping rural communities. And um, you spoke a little bit about land rights and about um, your own personal story. Um, I was wondering if you could expand as to, um, you know, you said that it was, you know, you, your mother, and two of your sisters who were left, and that this one of the challenges that women face in Uganda is that they cannot own land. Um, Can you tell us more uh, what happened um, after your last brother died? Well, when my last brother died... My mother thought our world was gone. Hmm. She said, we are finished. And then I had to come out and speak out to a few of my world powers, friends and network, including my mentor by then, my world powers mentor and my personal mentor. And they say, Beatrice, we are standing with you. Should anything happen, <laughs> tell your mother we are standing with you. And then when my brother died and my mother said that, I told her, Mom, look, we are going back after burying our brother. Should anything happen, the women around the world have put an eye and they will stand out for us. And after the burial of our brother, we had a community meeting. Mm-hmm. And in that meeting, they were trying to bring out the issues of land. But my mother stood up and said, should anything happen to my family and about the land in this family, the women around the world are watching, mm-hmm. and they'll come here and face all of you. And so in that way, it helped. It helped calm down the community, mm. and today that is not even talked about. And now that I support children in that community and other communities, I think no one will ever speak about our land. And I'm also helping even the girls that we support. Some of them have lost their parents, and there's actually one who lost their parents. There are only three girls left, and they are the community elders in their village were trying to take their land away. And that's why I decided to take one of them to school so she, she can fight for, for their family. And when we took her up, the community is very quiet because we followed up and the issue of uh, taking their land away is, is not serious. 
at this stage, and I know they will stand out for that. And even in our meetings with parents to date, we, uh, we pinch out that as well. Like I told you, those sensitive issues cannot easily be attacked directly. Mm-hmm. We use indirect approach, like when we're in meetings with parents, we tell them that women and men have the right own land. Mm-hmm. Each of us bring development in the communities. If we leave the land to the men, and it's the women who dig in these pieces of land, it makes no sense. So if women own land and men own land, they equally bring development. So those are some of the ways we try to tackle even the land issue in the communities. Beatrice, I read the piece that you wrote on the worldpulse.com website in your personal journal. That was such a beautiful story you told about your mother giving your entire family history about their their history on that piece of land. And she was so confident, you said, because she felt women of the world behind her at her back. And that piece also pointed out that traditionally, before colonialism, land was communally held and women had their right to it equally. And it was only after British colonial rule that the land got parceled up to to men in power. Yeah, actually, in in our community, it's quite different. Someone can buy land, a man can buy land and own it. But there's another community where land is owned by big community elders. So the people in who buy those pieces of land are just squatters. They don't buy permanently. So you end up being a squatter in a land for even a hundred years, and then it's not your land. So that still happens, but in some places, land is not owned. But like I could say, in a population of three hundred people, only five people or six may own land in that whole area. Mm. But for our community, it's quite different. Once you buy land, it's yours, and you own it. So, yeah, but land was originally owned by the elders who then give pieces of land to their children. But our family land is from our grandparents, and we happen to have maybe the the highest, chunk of land in that village, you have about 14 acres of land, and it so happened that uh, my family didn't expand that much. It would have expanded with uh, my father's children, but they have all died, and still then we've come back to square zero, so the other families grow up, and their land is kind of squeezed up, and they don't have any more. That's why they were eyeing onto our land. Mm -hmm. So land is owned by the grandparents who give out portions to their children, and that's how it, it, it goes. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that you've been showing us, um, you know, for the past, you know, half hour, 40 minutes that we've been talking how, um, you know, girls' education and investing in girls' education does more than just, 
you know, give girls an education. It also um, helps them understand their rights around land, around health and HIV um, and, and, and literacy and other issues. Um, what would you say to people who are still, you know, not sold on why we should all invest on girls' education? You're right. Education is not just going to school and writing in books. That's not education. Mm. Education is helping someone think beyond the box to, to, to find solutions to issues affecting their lives and their communities. Each of these girls have gone through hard life, and we totally believe 100% that when they are empowered with knowledge and wisdom and jobs or are able to create jobs, they are going to solve the issues in their communities. Mm. And I totally believe that the sufferings in rural community is because the people in rural community have never had an education opportunity. Like, for example, I'm the only graduate in my village, and I have gone back to transform my village. Most of the people in the towns were born by well-off families, and so they they haven't gone through such poverty and they have no need to go back to the rural community to develop. But I believe if rural people who have been for generations rotating around poverty because their parents and grandparents and their great-grandparents were not able to educate them, if only one girl is educated in, in, in a sub-county, for example, and they able to find a job or create a job, they're going to make a total difference. Education is one way of solving so many problems. Once a girl goes to school and is able to differentiate bad and good, they'll go back to their families and educate their parents that this is wrong, this is right. And most especially with the girls that we are educating, their parents know that. Every information we give them is right. So they are willing to give an ear to their children. They are willing to give an ear to us, and it's changing lives. And poverty in Africa is something I could call ignorance because they don't know how to do things. They are used to their traditional ways of doing things. They want to take another step to venture in another way. But if their children are educated, they will educate them to do things in a better way to improve their lives. So I strongly believe that it's only through education that the poor communities, the rural Africa will develop. And what do you feel is the role of um, um, NGOs, uh, non-governmental organizations uh, in Uganda and, and how they can actually be part of the solution? I, I will say that most of the NGOs do not consider NGOs in, in their solutions. Like, they want to implement it, but they... they, they we don't do much, I can just tell you that, because in my own family there are about three children who are registered by one of those big NGOs to educate them, 
and not even a book or a pen do they receive. And I've tried to approach some of those big NGOs in Uganda, and they say they, they are the ones who implement projects. They don't give grassroots organizations funding because they do it themselves. And the, the, network, the network of NGOs in Uganda is not strong. It's more of a competition than working solutions. And I would urge NGOs to consider networking with each other because uh, independently they are not going to solve everything. There are so many issues, so many critical issues in Africa and rural communities that cannot be solved by just one NGO. But if they networked and uh, supported each other and partnered, things would have become simpler and easily solved. And I can say not much goes into rural communities because people are ignorant. They just receive the basics that they are given, and so many things are being said to be having been done, but they are not there. Like, I could give an example of the feeding of HIV-positive families that I've read somewhere. And when you go down to the community, they say they are feeding. There's no feeding at all. So I don't know how I can say it, but there's need to network. There's need to work together to bring out solutions. One organization can't bring every solution because there are so many demands in rural communities in Africa. It's, it sounds to me also that they might want to um, maybe network with grassroots women um, leaders like you um, who actually understand um, the problems and have a really clear understanding of what solutions um, could, uh, could be um, for somewhat solving a problem in your community. Yeah, that's true. There are so many women, like even those who didn't go to school, there are those who really have information that could help. They, they have information for solutions for their communities, but they are not being, they are not, they have no support. They have no one to tell their story. They have no one to share their ideas with. So I think it's time to even engage more women in the NGO world or, or even government work because women have a tendency of solving issues other than talking about them. I was wondering, what is your vision for the future? Well, I am standing out for rural women and girls in <laughs> Africa, and that's what I'll do all my life, feel mm -hmm. that. I'm a voice for rural African women and girls, especially but I embrace the entire African rural community. And education is my number one key priority. I believe education will change and break the circles of poverty in rural Africa. I would love to have all our beneficiaries go back to their own communities and develop other than leave their communities and go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. I want them to invest in their own communities. That's my, my personal urge. I would like to be a, more, a role model to, to the girls and women that we are supporting so they can bring change to their own communities. And even to those who visit with our project, we have had 21 mentors 
from across the globe, two, two from the U.S. here and the rest from Australia, Germany, and England have been to our country, and more are still going there. Those who visit with our project also go back with a different mindset, and they bring solutions to their own lives and communities as well. There are those who, who had no clue about life and now appreciate everything they have. They don't take anything for granted in their own homes back in, in the developed world. So we, I just want to be the, the channel for that change in the society, especially for women and girls. Um, and you just spent, um, you know, the last six months or so in the U.S. You're going back to Uganda in just a few days. What's the first thing you're going to do when you get there? <laughs> oh, my God. I... First of all, I still want to thank World Pulse for that first foundation they made because I based on my World Pulse experience in my application to, to Community Solutions Program by IRES, and that's how I got it. And I've been here for uh, the four months. I've been here since August, and mm-hmm. I'm leaving on December 5th. Mm-hmm. And first thing I'm going to work on when I get back home is the community library. I want it finished and done and furnished by June 2014. Whether there's money or not, it's going to be built. And that's something I want to see done urgently. Mm-hmm. And of course, the first, the first foremost thing is to just see the faces of my loved ones <laughs> and hug them, <laughs> my mom, my sisters, my nieces and nephews, and the girls that we support, and their families. It's just going to be a very fun moment. Well, um, thank you so much, Beatrice, for um, taking this time as you are wrapping up your stay in the U.S. and, and heading back to Uganda to do this really amazing work that, y- that you've been doing with, with girls and with your community. Um, thank you for being on Bread and Roses. And um, for all of you out there, um, wellpulse.com, uh, go into the search bar, enter Beatrice. She will be uh, showing up. Her profile will be on there. You can read more about her, and you can read all of the um, journal entries, um, all of these stories, some of them that she shared with us tonight um, about land rights, about HIV, about education and girls' education, how to involve men allies, how to involve NGOs. Thank you so much, Beatrice. Thank you, Beatrice. Thank you very much for the call. My final words, everyone in this world, no matter where they are, is to always seek out anything that is hurting them. Do not hold anything in your heart because you're going to kill your own self. If you have any conflict with anyone, tell them off. Do not keep anything in your heart. If your government is corrupt, say it the way it is. If anything is going wrong in your family, express that out. Do not run away from your family. Do not run out of trouble, but try to solve that trouble. And everyone in this world has a unique potential. Let no one underlook anyone. 
but rather help each other to bring solutions to the world because everyone has a unique skill to help everyone. This world is one world. It is not divided in any way, so we shouldn't leave it divided. We came out peacefully. We have to go back peacefully. We have to leave peace behind us. Peace has to be for both women and men. Women need peace. Men need peace. Children need peace. Youth need peace. Let's fight for peace and justice. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this piece of wisdom. You've been listening to Bread and Roses, our interview with Ugandan grassroots leader Beatrice Ashien-Nas, a global voice for the education of girls and the empowerment of rural communities in Africa. To connect with Beatrice, if you'd like to donate books to her community library project, or if you're intrigued by the idea of sponsoring a girl's education, may I just say that it is more affordable than you might think. Connect with her via worldpulse.com. Search for her first name, Beatrice, B-E-A-T-R-I-C-E, and connect with her profile there. Thank you, Beatrice Ashianas, for your time and your good works. Thank you also to my co-interviewer, Delphine Crescenzo, and thank you all for listening to Bread and Roses tonight. I've been your host tonight, Leanne Kranz. Good night, everybody. Thank you.